Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Conduct, Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Let's do a little job interview uh, or a little application exercise. Perhaps you've heard these, this question before. Uh, what are three words to describe who you are? If you had to summarize who you are, what are three words that you would use to describe yourself? And so you've probably, if you've ever applied for something or a job or a school or whatnot, uh, you might have come across a similar question. And the point is to really get down to knowing your identity, being able to identify your nature, characteristics. So in the same way, um, if you had to boil down God's essence to one characteristic, what would it be? If, if you had the job of telling history just in one word, the nature of God, what would it be? Um, Peter he understands that what is one of the most important characteristics of who God is, is that he is holy. And in fact, if you look through scripture, if you take the time to count all the descriptors of who God is, holy is the most occurring description of God. And so if you are someone who wants to know God, you need to know that he is holy. And this needs to be something that uh, you are worshiping, you're wrestling with, you're thinking about meditating on uh, for the span of your discipleship while you're here on earth, that God is holy. So starting with the conclusion first, um, just the, the end of the passage first, Peter says, therefore, in verse 15, but as he who called you is holy, meaning God who called you, you be holy in all your conduct. And verse 16 since it is written, and he's quoting a command from Leviticus, uh, the fourth book in the Bible, you shall be holy, for I am holy. This is God speaking to his people. And so my prayer for all of us, uh, myself included, that perhaps um, a response by faith uh, as we work through this passage by the end might be something along these lines, Lord, help me. I need your grace. I need your undeserved, kind help, your spirit working this in me. Help me be holy as you are holy. And so I want to ask for um, the rest of our time in the passage, how do we grow? I'm hoping this will be a practical sermon for you. How do we grow in being holy as God is holy? What does that look like? And I want you to see hopefully four things with me in the passage. First, We'll try do our best to define what holiness is from the passage. Um, second, I want you to understand what the power for holiness is. And then I want you to be alert to the holiness killer, what will easily kill holiness in our lives. And then finally, to ask the question, is holiness optional? Is holiness optional? So first, what is holiness? And so let's get into the passage. Um, we're, again, we'll st let's start at the end. But... As he, God, who called you, because he's our loving father who caused us to be born again to a living hope, and he chose us, just as he is holy, 
you be holy. Emphasis, be holy in all your conduct. And then, as we've already read, but just to read again, Peter quoting Leviticus, you shall be holy for God saying, I am holy. So, what is holiness? First, I want you to see that it's a set-apart identity. It's a being versus doing. Holiness is certainly first about who you are. It's your being. It's just your nature, your essence, and beginning with God. For certain, God is holy, and so he calls us as well to be holy. It's a being. It's a set-apart identity. Now, for certain, when we think of God being holy, uh, the best word that I can, I mean, English doesn't do God, any language won't do God's holiness justice, but but majesty, that's my best attempt. Majesty, if you think of holiness as majesty, something so glorious, so grand, so not you, so just in in a sense, in a good sense, far off and inapproachable because it's so majestic. That is who God is. And in that sense, he's set apart. Now he calls you and I to be holy. And John put it well in a very uh, pithy way that we have no hope in being holy because uh, if it depends on our obedience, who can obey perfectly to a point that you can call yourself holy like God? So let me try to comfort you here. Uh, This is a picture of one of my favorite t-shirts. Just took it last night. And you can't really tell, but if you look closely, it's pretty tattered. And even I'll say, when I kind of look at it, it's kind of gross. Like there are tons of little holes in the armpit areas, <laughs> right? But this is my favorite shirt. And excuse the dad joke, it's literally holy, <laughs> right? Ba-doom, right? Um, but my point is, this shirt, now Linda, my wife, if she had her way, she would have thrown this out years ago, Okay. But this is one of my favorite pajama shirts, just kicking around, kicking it, like just, um, you know, shooting the breeze around the house, comfort shirts, love wearing it to sleep. And so in my heart, it's set apart. Even though it deserves to be in the trash, it'd be just used as a rag, it's set apart. It has that place in my heart. And it's something that if I can, I'll just keep as long as I can. In some sense, and I don't mean to belittle God's holiness, but when it comes to us, we're kind of like the t-shirt. We, at least on this earth, until Christ calls us home and glorifies us, we will never be as holy as God is, but yet he sees us that way in Christ. You are holy. You are loved. You are set apart in God's heart. And so let that comfort you. Not only comfort you, but define who you are. But what else is holiness? Holiness, for certain, is a moral standard. Remember, Peter explains, God who called you is holy. That's his being. And you and I are also called to be holy. It's our set-apart identity, despite all the holes in our character our brokenness, our sinfulness. But then Peter makes it clear, you also be holy from your being, your identity, in all your conduct. 
meaning what you do, what you say. And so certainly holiness also is a moral standard. And so we can speak just as we uh, speak of God's majesty and who he is, we need to simultaneously speak of his moral perfection. So God is certainly holy in what he does. He is perfect morally in what he does. So let me try to apply, get you to see the significance of that, that perspective. Think about life right now. Think about your life. Think about the headlines. Think about what you see out in the world. And as much beauty as there is, there's equally just as much chaos and disorder and questions. But no matter how you look out on the world, right this instant, because God is God and he's in control, then everything that he does and is allowing is holy. And there's something in his allowing the world to be in the state that it is in this very moment that is an extension of his moral perfection. Not that everything going on is perfect in and of itself, but God being in control and allowing the world to be what it is right now, for your life to be what it is right now, whether it is uh, full of blessing right now or you're going through a very discouraging time, God is holy. And that doesn't change. He is morally perfect. And yet, you and I as well are called to be holy, to not only be set apart and to have an identity that is His, and set apart in his heart in Christ, but we're also called to keep maturing in actually doing right and doing holiness. And so what is holiness? Holiness for humans specifically, not God, but for you and me then, while we're on this earth, is progressive. It's what theologians call progressive, even sanctification, but meaning we're to grow in it little bit by little bit. Every day. Now, where we see this progression in the scripture, in, in, in the text, we go back to the beginning of the passage, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully, and here's the future, on the grace that will be brought to you future at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning on that final day, God's grace will get it. We'll finally see the full picture. It'll be fully worked out in our lives. But this is the future. So meaning if there's a future and we're here in the present now, we're to walk towards that future. We're to progress towards that future. And so even as Peter is speaking of you and I being holy as God is holy in the present, he's speaking of that we grow in that holiness till that final day. So if we're going to get there, we're going to get there because if you're like me, and I'm someone who, by God's grace, is trying to stay in God's grace as much as possible, and even as much as I, by God's grace, strive to stay in His grace and rest in His grace, man, I struggle with a lot of guilt and shame and days where I'm like, why am I so angry and so forth, so forth, just, just like, Lord, I'm not as holy as you're calling me to be. So how do we finish? How do we get there? How do we keep progressing? That's why we want to ask, what's the power for holiness? What's the power for holiness? Because pursuing holiness 
It's not meant to be your own spirit-crushing striving. It's not meant to be this fever in the eyes, depressing, never good enough self-effort. If your pursuit of holiness is, is you, you have chains on you, you, you feel it's, 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 it's a struggle. That's not what God means. As we're called to progress in holiness, there's meant to be a joyful power, a grace that carries us that it's not your own spirit-crushing striving. And so, what is this power? Now, power, I think, a synonym for power. Power really is motivation. (laughs) Because if you can find motivation, that becomes power. If you can find something intrinsic in you, something inside you, and you feel motivated to whatever pursuit, that becomes power. So, we could easily ask, what's the motivation for holiness? So let me ask you, and try to self-reflect in the moment, just in your seat, what makes something worth fighting for for you to the end? What makes something worth fighting for? Just speaking as a human being, okay? Just just humanly speaking. When I think of, and just two quick examples that came to my mind as I asked myself this, uh, this question, let's say my marriage. Fighting for my marriage. It's not the only reason why I feel it's worth fighting for my marriage, but one important reason is I think of my kids. I see my kids. Let's say I'm having an off day with my wife, but I see my kids. And then all of a sudden, there's a motivation. Okay, you know what? It's worth it to keep fighting for my marriage because just even for the sake of these kids, that at least I want to do my part with my wife, that they could grow up in a healthy home, uh, a good example of what marriage is, so that hopefully in the future, that they are open to living out God's plan for marriage. So so I'm trying to just give an example. You're able to find something that makes something worth fighting for. Just another quick example. For me, I try to keep a healthy exercise regimen in my life. Why? Because if I don't, I easily fall into depression and anxiety. And and a healthy exercise regimen helps keep that at bay. So it's worth it for me to keep fighting that fight, to try to stay healthy. Now, what I'm trying to really get at, the point of all that, is for you to understand that what Peter wants to do right now, I think one thing that he's doing for us is that he's telling us why it's worth it to pursue holiness. And what Peter wants us to understand, let's see it, it's here in verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14, Therefore, and first starting with that, therefore, he's concluding the first 12 verses. And just to quickly summarize, he wants us to know that we have a loving father in heaven who has caused us by his grace, not even by our own choice, by his predestination to be loved and to be born again to a living hope. And why is it a living hope? Because he sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins and raise them from the dead. And then he speaks of even over thousands of years that he sent his servant, the prophets, to be foretelling about God's grace and wanting the world to know, all of history to know, that God loves you and he wants you to know his grace and that God is so uh, just long-suffering, so intense, so steadfast, that he is um, just diligently, faithfully, executing his plan of redemption in history. And all of that, now Peter says, therefore, because you see God at work this way, therefore, preparing your minds 
for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So first, I want you to see the fight where we see even Peter saying, I'm gonna, I want to show you something that's worth fighting for. It's in the word preparing your mind. This is uh, the best English translation. Um, but in the, the Greek, it literally means gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what, what does he mean by gird up the loins? That's not a, a, an imagery, an expression, a, 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 something that we're all familiar with. So let, let me explain to you what it means. Um, apparently, there's the Art of Manliness website somewhere. And someone, I appreciate this drawing. And this, this, is, this illustrates what it means to gird up your loins. So let's walk through this. So here is a man in a tunic. Okay, I was going to bring my own, but it's at the cleaners, right? And then literally last night, um, I, I tried to do this with my bathrobe, but it's too short. So I thought I'd save you the awkwardness of that. So imagine this man in his tunic goes down to his ankles. And so when it came to battle or having to run a race, they would gather up the length of the tunic and then um, like tying, like think of just two thick shoelaces to uh, you know, manipulate it into like two long shoelaces. And then they would bring that underneath and then grab those shoelaces, so to speak, and then wrap it around the waist. And then they would tie it in a knot. Okay. And then they would be ready to be mobile, to be agile. That's what it means literally to gird up your loins. And Peter here has this in mind that you and I are to gird up the loins of our minds. So first, there's the fight. And in the fight, he's asking us to be sober-minded, which is just basically the opposite of being inebriated, being drunk on something. He's speaking, probably even literally thinking of don't be drunk on the battlefield, but also spiritually speaking, to be drunk with the, the pleasures of the world, the distractions of the world. And so there's the fight. And what is worth fighting for? You see, preparing your mind and being sober-minded, these are just in English grammar, Greek grammar, what we just call participles, meaning they're, they're there just to describe the actual main verb. And the main verb here is set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Little first letter of Peter trivia, this is the first imperative. This is the first command that Peter actually writes out. In the first 13 verses, he doesn't give a command yet, something for you and I as Christ followers to do until he says, set your hope fully on the grace. That's a command for a Christian. So let's pause there, pastoral application. When something discouraging comes your way, what is your immediate response and reaction? Do you start to focus on the problem? Do you start to complain? Do you start to criticize? Do you start to blame? Or do you make the intentional choice to live out this command, to obey this command in the New Testament? No, something discouraging, difficult comes my way. I'm going to set my hope fully on the grace that is mine in Christ Jesus. I'm going to hope. I'm going to look forward to the truth that God, because I'm his child, he's going to work everything out. And therefore, in the here and now, 
I'm going to keep leaning into Christ. Help me. Help me. I know you're a good Lord and a loving, compassionate Savior. Keep pouring out your undeserved kind help in my life. And that's why Peter is saying, prepare your mind this way. You got to have that attitude that gird up the loins of your mind, mean be ready that no matter what comes your way, you're going to be ready that that's how you're going to respond. And with that sober mind, not to become even drunk on, let's say, anger or bitterness and the like. So what's the power? The power is grace. Specifically here, God's future grace. He's going to fully show, reveal to you the glory and the beauty of, of, of his grace worked out to perfection at the end. But that grace that's going to be fully worked out, it's also active in your life now. And so it's worth it to keep fighting for holiness, to keep pursuing holiness. That's the motivation that Paul, or Peter, excuse me, wants us to see. And that's why in verse 14, he addresses the church as obedient children. Emphasis right now on children. You know, I'll admit, even as an adult child, 47 years old, I still get melted by my 80-plus-year-old parents' affection and kind words and love. And even though I'm an adult now, I have my own kids, there's something about still there's a child heart in me. And for my aging parents, when they speak words of affirmation and kindness, it does good for me. And so similarly, may you never be too proud, too old in your heart to not see yourself as a child of God in Christ. And this is part of the motivation, the power that you're loved by God the Father, called his son and daughter by his grace in Christ. That's supposed to be the power. That's supposed to be the motivation that I'm his because he is mine, because of what Christ has done for me. And so as I stay in view of that, the fight becomes less and less of my own soul-crushing striving. My own, I'm trying to be good enough and prove that I'm good enough when I can't even do it. Self-effort. One way to understand this life then is that it's a proving ground. It's a proving ground to show that you trust Christ fully and His grace, not yourself. Part of the pursuit of holiness, the fight of it is, is that you could show, I trust God and His grace, not my self-effort. So that's why Paul, or sorry, Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace. This command, set your hope not halfway, not a little bit, not just when you're down, but fully, every day, high or low, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I appreciate how John Piper, he's such a uh, clear thinker, and his own sermon on this, uh, on verse 13, he says this, let your whole soul be engaged in hope 
Don't be partially hoping and partially doubting. Hope fully. Give way entirely to the experience of hope. Be fully carried away with hope. Let grace get all the glory. How? By letting it get all the hope. If you hold back hope from grace, you hold back glory from grace. So glut yourself on hope. Show the world that grace is all satisfying. It will meet every need. And so that's why it's important now to ask what kills holiness. In a word, you trusting in your own self-effort. Whether it's for salvation, whether it's for your job and your work. Yes, we we have our part. But again, uh, words to live and die by from Paul the Apostle. I worked harder than all the other apostles. So we can apply that to every arena of life. Work harder than everyone else. But like Paul, not it wasn't me. It was God's grace. By God's grace that I worked harder. And his grace was not without effect. So what kills holiness? It would be saying, I just worked harder than everyone else. Minus, sans, God's grace. Now where do we see this? And Peter gets more specific here. As obedient children, do not conform, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. And so here again, second command. First command, set your hope fully on the grace that is yours in Christ Jesus. Second command in his letter, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So what does he mean by that? Well, first conformed means shaped by, molded by, influenced by, okay? What's defining your life. And so what does he mean by passions? For certain on one level, it it just means lusts. So it could mean earthly desires, even sexual lusts and so forth, but it's broader than that. In fact, and so when he speaks of passions of your former ignorance, what does he mean by passions of your former ignorance? This word passion, Jesus uses it once as well, this word, and he speaks simply to the desires, broadly speaking, of your heart. And in another place in Scripture, uh, we see the notion of affections. And so really, first, most broadly speaking, We're not to be shaped by former affections, former things that we prioritized as ultimate, as most important. Affections, for me, a very helpful practical definition is is just try to identify your emotional attachments. And there you have, you could probably identify the whole range of your affections from just small little affections like peanut M&Ms, right? That's one of mine, Um, to, you know, I have to, you know, prove that that uh, just amongst, say, the mighty of this world, that I can stand shoulder to shoulder with them. These are emotional attachments. These are passions, and and so Peter is speaking of before Jesus, you lived for a certain goal, you lived for certain affections, but when Christ came into your life, what He did, one way to understand your faith, your Christian journey, is that. Jesus became your greatest affection, your deepest desire, the most beautiful person and truth, and really God in your life. 
where other things were lowercase g gods in your life, that was your former ignorance. Now, Jesus has become your greatest affection. And so Peter is reminding us, warning us, the healthy warning and reminder, hey, every day you, you, you got to be alert not to slip back to just living for this life. Now, to just create some, paint some context of why this is so important. Because Peter is saying, what kills holiness is returning to your old affections or letting them become um, primary again and taking the place of Christ as your ultimate affection. Now, to paint context of why this is so important, this is really eternity is in the balance here. Turning to Hebrews chapter 12, which also speaks of God's holiness, picking up in verse 14, the writer says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Take that in for a second. Meaning, if, if you don't have holiness in your life, if, if you're not pursuing holiness, just matter of fact, you won't see the Lord. Whether it's during lifetime here or on that final day, the judgment seat before God, you won't see the Lord as the one who welcomes you to his new creation and his love forever. This is how important holiness is. Again, the, you know, to comfort you, to encourage you, not to crush you. God understands. Yes, he set us apart and he wants us to be perfect as he is perfect. But he understands that until he calls us home, it's a progression. So don't mishear this. But you certainly have to hear this is how important holiness is. Because without it, you will not see the Lord. So see to it that no one fails. And again, the writer of Hebrews would agree with Peter. What's the power for holiness? It's God's grace. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Now here are some in the rest of the passage there. Um, just practical, maybe just checks, if you will, to kind of see, okay, how's my pursuit of holiness going? The writer here describes or identifies some things that are not holy. And so see to it that there's no root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble. Are you holding a grudge against someone? Are you slow to forgive? Or are you slow to forgive again? <laughs> Maybe there's a relationship in your life that is just testing you longer than, than others. And you need to forgive again and again and again in your heart. But if there's bitterness, the writer of Hebrews says that defiles your heart, meaning that attacks your holiness. It kills your holiness. Some of the more uh, familiar ones to us see that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. This one is even more daunting because Esau is an example of just affections, misordered affections. Esau who was so hungry after hunting that he sold his birthright for a meal. He had a greater emotional attachment to a good soup than his spiritual blessing. Okay? 
That's affections. Order of affections. Paul writes elsewhere in his letter to Titus, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce, I love how the NIV translates, to say no, to say no. Training us to say no, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. Same word, affections. It's not just lust, but a love for the world that has God not at the top. And to live self-controlled, so what holiness looks like then, as we progress and we train in this, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Again, Paul would agree with Peter. The power for holiness is this blessed hope. Because you hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay? And so I love how Paul puts it later. Because of this, if you read the end there, um, because he's wanting to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So there's that part of the definition of holiness. We can't uh, just take out the part of moral perfection. So let's end with asking, is holiness optional? Is holiness optional? Think of your favorite ethnic food. Okay, I just threw a few up here. It's random ones. There's some uh, really yummy looking dim sum dumplings, some Mexican tacos. And I think that's maybe a Spanish paella or something. Um, but think of just other ethnic foods that you love. Those foods are probably, you, you could say one way, with all the, let's just think of Canada, with all the immigrants that have come through, and certainly one generation after another, the culture gets diluted. Um, and my parents, I'm sure, just they, they would say, they're, they're probably frustrated. How come you don't continue this Korean tradition or this, you know, so forth and so forth. But what does stay is the food. That's the food, ethnic food has the power to sort of stay uh, through generations in terms of a culture. Now, when we, I, I say that because immigrants literally, they leave their homeland and as their culture gets diluted, at least their food stays. Similarly, if you want to kind of try to think along that lines, there's something that, is, that isn't, is not meant to be lost as we live in an exilic, Christ-following life, as we continue to long for our true and final home, something essential to what it means to be Christian. Culture in, 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 in the healthiest sense. Christian culture, meaning the culture that Jesus wants us to live out. What's supposed to survive, not only survive, but flourish is our holiness. Our holiness. And so, Peter says, as obedient children, this is who you are. You're to be holy. But as he who called you is holy, who is he who called you? Our Father in heaven. Be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, a command from Leviticus, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And this still applies even in the New Testament, in Christ. So I love what William MacDonald says in his reflection and meditation on these verses. In this life, we will never be as holy as he is, but we should be holy because he is. Okay. 
Again, what's the motivation? It's God and his grace and who he is. And so here's, again, a comfort. God knows. That's why we need his grace. That's why he gives us grace. We'll never be as holy as he is, but we should fight this good fight to be holy because he is. And so let's be careful of what some thinkers call a cultural holiness versus God's holiness. See, cultural holiness, um, little example, just a few years back, uh, there was a, an elder who used to be here. And then he kind of joked when he came up to speak. Um, he was wondering with his wife, should I tuck in my shirt or leave it out? I, I couldn't believe he was even thinking about that. And then the wife said, well, what does Albert do? I think he's all, his shirt is always untucked, right? So I'll untuck it. So it, I'm just saying it's a little example of how a certain kind of culture was forming or even little ways like that, the, the culture can form. And so even within a church, we can begin to develop these weird standards that we think define Christianity or who we're supposed to be as a churchgoer or whatnot, whatever. But it's just you and I creating a certain definition of what it looks like to be a Christian. And the clothing example, that's just a, a small little trivial example. But, but if we're not careful, if, if we're not sticking to Scripture and staying in Scripture, then you and I, as we're trying to figure out our faith, we could start to unwittingly, maybe even sometimes deliberately, create our own culture and def definition of holiness. But what we need is God's holiness. God's holiness. And so, Jerry Bridges, a great book. I encourage you to pick it up uh, if, if you uh, want to read more about what it means to be holy as God is holy. He says, in the pursuit of holiness, true salvation brings with it a desire to be made holy. Therefore, we may say that no one can trust in Jesus Christ for true salvation unless he trusts in him for holiness. So let's pray. Lord, let's pray this simple prayer by faith I pray this for all of us here. Lord, you've been so good and kind and faithful. Trinity Grace Church, um, you've helped us come this far, seven years, but truly as a continuation of wonderful story before us. And all the saints, and we thank you that one of the, the threads that tie all your saints together through all of history is that you call us to be holy as you are holy. And so help us. Give us grace to be holy as you are holy. Show us for each of us individually. Help us to go home at our workplaces, wherever we find ourselves, that your spirit would spark this good meditation. How is it that you're asking each of us, how, how is it that you're asking me to keep progressing in holiness? And we thank you in advance for your wonderful grace that will help us keep moving forward to gird up the loins of our minds and set our hope fully on this grace in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.